Dawn on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. Big thanks to Afrikan Andrew. It's Tuesday the 2nd of January and you're listening to Game On. Coming up today, Stephen Ferris and Keen Tracy review a Christmas rugby schedule filled with interpros and injuries. Alan Cawley will review all the soccer and talk to us about Wayne Rooney's sacking from Birmingham. Plus, we have a look back at all the festive football too. In darts, Mick Lennon previews tonight's semi-finals at the Ali Pali, while in racing, Ruby reviews all the festive action. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or find us on X at GameOn2FM or we're on WhatsApp on 087-187-9200. GameOn2FM Welcome along. Did you, did, you, did you just leave me out of that WhatsApp group, yeah? It's not a WhatsApp group, Ruby. It's a WhatsApp so people can send in messages. <laughs> All right. <laughs> did you think we set up a WhatsApp group and didn't judge to it? Out, Maria. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Ruby, that'd be a terrible start to 2024. I'm going to add you to all my WhatsApp Shut groups up. now. You're Love that, okay. wouldn't you? You're okay. I trust me, you're okay. Ruby you're Walsh okay. has left this group. I see you're in some amount of the WhatsApp I'm in a lot of WhatsApp groups, all right. Yeah, we actually should get one going now. That's a great idea, Ruby. The game so, on a, so we can abuse Alan, yeah? Yeah. It's good to have you back, Alan, after Christmas. Yes, Marie, yeah. good to see you. I uh, hope you had a nice Christmas, Ruby, as well. Yeah, good Keen, to be back. Keen Tracy's here too. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy New Year to everyone. Happy New Year is right. Alan, Alan Wayne happened. Rooney. Wayne Rooney, Ruby, yeah. Um, well, I suppose that's what happens when you appoint someone for all the wrong reasons. Uh, yeah, end up with egg on your face. But to be fair, he came out with a statement afterwards. He feels as though he was a little bit hard done by in the sense that the amount of time that he was given. But when you look at the run of form that they were on, he was sick. there were sixth when he took over. John Eustace, yeah. who people would know from his time here, obviously as part of Stephen Kenny's backroom team, doing a good job. But unfortunately for John Eustace, not as fashionable as na- a name as Wayne Rooney. And when the new owners come in, that's what they wanted. Uh, so as I say, when you're appointing someone for all the wrong reasons instead of their managerial credentials, this is what happens. And, and owners treating clubs like toys... Um, and you could argue, was he not given enough time? But as I said, the run of form that they were on was absolutely horrendous. And they've gone from sixth in the championship to be hovering around the playoff places to be back 20th, I think it is. So um, I'm not surprised by it, especially the humiliating defeat they suffered again yesterday against Leeds. And now they're in danger of being relegated. So they've gone from literally the top and looking up the way to, to worrying and looking over their shoulder. So what you're saying, Alan, is just because you're a good footballer yeah. doesn't mean you'll be a good manager yeah and it's been proven many times uh, and that's not to say you'd write Rooney off now in terms of his managerial career I've heard a load of different people tell me how good Rooney is and, and he's in this for mm-hmm. the right reasons he wants to be a manager like John O'Shea who's in the backroom team O'Shea and Ashley Cole um, so a high profile backroom team as well but I wouldn't write him off totally in terms of his managerial career but when you think of the fact that um, I suppose he was in America did a decent enough job at Derby then he was in America I wanted to come home here to, to carve out that career I suppose back in England um, and just because I suppose the first one isn't a success um, I wouldn't go writing him off he's still very young I think he should just take a bit of time away now pick his ne- next job wisely because um, we've seen sometimes even with the likes of Lampard rushing back into a job and then I think if, if he was to suffer failure in the next one that could be him done then that group or that kind of era of Lampard, Gerard, the two Nevilles, now Rooney, they haven't really they haven't really excelled in the managerial. No, and it's some list of names. When yeah. you think of how good they were as players, as as you said there in your question, Marie, 
just because you're a good footballer doesn't mean you're going to great, make a great manager and there's plenty of names of people who never kicked the ball who are good managers so um, it's not an exact science just because you played but I have heard he's a good coach so and good reading of the game good understanding of the game I would have thought he, he would have made a good go of it but when you look at all the stats in terms of what they were trying to achieve as well, like they're well short of even what... Like I wouldn't even mind if you were losing the odd game, but you were showing signs of what they're all about. He reckons he didn't have enough time, but 83 days is enough time to get your message across, I think. And the fact that they were losing week in, week out without showing any signs of what he was trying to implement, I don't think it reads well for him. So I'm not surprised that he's got sacked, but I wouldn't write him off just yet. So Chancey's a better coach than manager. Yeah, and that can happen as well, Ruby. Sometimes I've seen that before uh, with coaches. Um, so it'll be interesting to see his next book. Because he's such a big name, I couldn't see him being an assistant to somebody else. That's you know, They all have egos, don't they? That's the thing. That's Could the someone thing. like Wayne Rooney actually be in the background? And Yeah, and funny enough with Rooney, he doesn't strike me as one with a massive ego in the sense that he thinks he's better than everybody else. I think he'd be actually probably humble enough. But I just don't see, because of the name that he has, to go in as a coach to a manager it's such a they're different disciplines now aren't they totally like, different yeah, yeah. And, and ultimately the manager has the final say he picks the team he makes the decisions I would see Rooney as being wanting to be that person but as Ruby said there could be an argument to say you're not a good manager you're a better coach but try tell him that <laughs> as as Keen said maybe yeah, with the Eagles I, I don't think he's too cocky or big headed like that um, but I just can't see because of the profile that he has in the game and the name that he has I couldn't see him going in as a coach as second to somebody else but can you look at say an Irish setup if in rugby, Andy Farrell is the manager. But you look at the colour of coaches he has. Someone like Paul O'Connell, is it? Yeah, Paul O'Connell, even Mike Cat. I mean they're big names. Mike Mike Cat wasn't a big name in Ireland, but big names. Yeah, I suppose the the argument against that would be someone like Paul O'Connell went off to France and, you know, came back thinking that maybe coaching wasn't for him. So I think it kind of suits someone like that to see if, well, clearly now he's going to be in coaching full time going forward. But for a while, it didn't look like he would be not saying it's the exact same situation as Rooney, but maybe a lot of these guys do kind of jump in head first mm. after they retire and they are looking for you know the next job straight away I thought it was interesting you know in his statement Rooney he he pointedly I would suggest said that before he you know thinks about his next managerial job because um, I did see a couple of reports in England saying you know where does a guy like this go from here in other words like is he actually finished as a manager even though he is very young but clearly he still thinks he has a future in it if he's putting that into his statement so um, it'll be interesting I, yeah I think on that one as well Ruby and it's it's a, it's good examples you use of the, the profile of name but Paul O'Connell going in at a national team being understudy to Andy Farrell is different to Wayne Rooney being a coach at Stoke City to a different manager so I think if if Rooney was to say for example to to I suppose like for like in, in the sense that if he was to go in as an assistant with Pep Guardiola or something and you're learning off the best I think he could be a coach to him but I don't think he's going to be a coach to some some fella who's not not even a journeyman manager but somebody who's carving out a career in the lower leagues at championship level or or below mm. like I I see the likes of Kevin Olin as assistant at uh, West Ham with David Moyes I can totally see that Kevin Nolan was never a superstar player but he's a very good established Premier League player I'm sure he has ambitions to maybe go on and manage one day and he's learning off a really experienced coach in David Moyes I just couldn't see Rooney being the coach to a lesser manager if you like yeah no I'd agree with you, you know? 
It'll be because he's so big of a name. Like he, this is why people forget R- Rooney. Like Rooney was the one of the best I've ever seen live. I don't think Rooney gets the credit he deserves. And sometimes people make the comparison with the Ronaldo yeah. stuff because obviously you look at their body shapes and all that kind of stuff comes into it and how he lived his life compared the discipline to yeah of course might have been there but yeah. in terms of football and ability Rooney was up there with the very very best he was phenomenal yeah the only thing is he, he in the past given things that had happened he probably wasn't advised very well so you would hope now that you'd be advised well in whatever moves he makes next and does get another opportunity because there's so many people out there trying to become coaches and get yeah. jobs and it's really really hard I think the lesson in as well from owner's point of view you just you just don't appoint a name Yeah, you know appoint the manager that you want for, that for the right reasons with the right credentials whether it be a star studded name or whether it be a fella who's learning is for, if, appoint him for the right reasons I wouldn't mind seeing him on the Monday Night Football panel now with uh, Neville and um, he'll be on it and next Roy Keane yeah Ruby, what way does it work in racing? Does a good jockey make a good trainer? No, not necessarily. Um, I would say, jumping-wise, John Joe Neal is probably the most famous. Um, Gordon Elliott was an amateur. Willie Mullins was an amateur. Don't think Henry de Bromhead rode. Um, Jessie was an eventer. She rode at the Olympics. Uh, Jessica Harrington. Um, So, no, it doesn't necessarily one correlate to the other. But a trainer, Marie, in racehorses is, is the club is the owner of the club mm. so it's a much different thing so you're starting trying to build a whole club you're not uh, taking your there's no very few very few salary trainers very few I'm going to try to think off the top of my head Aidan O'Brien probably is in Ballydoyle that's it everybody else is self-employed so you have to find the owners find the horses and then train them so it's a huge undertaking that's why they start smaller and try to get bigger but it's a huge undertaking to train resources like when it goes wrong you can't get sacked <laughs> yeah. you just go broke yeah. yeah and it just goes to show how good Willie Mullins is because if he's making all the decisions is he Ruby really when you everything so is Gordon Elliott yeah. um, same with Aidan even though Bally Doyle is owned by Cool Moore but it's the same with Aidan he will be making all the decisions even though he keeps telling you the lads are there's no way they are he is um, but like it is a huge undertaking and then all those staff are your staff your pilot your paying their wages you're paying the food company uh, like I can't imagine be it Wayne Rooney Eric Ten Hag Pep Guardiola knows how much the canteen bill is in in any of those grounds whereas a racehorse trainer knows to the penny whatever it's costed Before we move on from the football Lee Carsley is now linked with the Birmingham job Ireland of course still looking for a manager there's been no real developments on that front bar Lee Carsley been um, touted as one of the leading candidates but it seems that there'll be a bit more competition than expected for him Al yeah and that's the knock on effect it does kind of um, link us a little bit now to who's next for Birmingham because he played there Carsley played there for mm-hmm. a few years as well he had a good career sure he's well liked the fact that he's uh, well touted around in terms of an up and coming coach he was linked with the Stoke job he's been linked with all the jobs at the moment to be fair to him so I definitely think Birmingham there's also talk of John Eustace going back which would be a strange one but by all accounts he's open to it <laughs> I know if a club sacked me I don't know what I'd be going back but he apparently they're still paying him because it's that it's a uh, part of obviously the payoff deal. So he's still getting paid by them. Rooney gets sacked. There's talk he might go back. So it just goes to show just how crazy. Football, eh? <laughs> but it's, <laughs> a, it's the same in other sports as well. Like you look at rugby. I mean, I don't think it will ever change that owners will just go for big names for yeah. the sake of it because they think they put bums on seats. You mm-hmm. look at Eddie Jones in the last year. Like went to Australia and utter disaster um, he's after running out of his contract I'd say the Wallabies were delighted to get rid of him and now he's gone to Japan mm. you know so that could end up being another disaster as well but they get him because 
he's a so-called big name and like you see it in football all the time but it's happening now in rugby I don't think it will change because I think the people making the decisions are sometimes blinded by you know reputation even mm-hmm. though reputation isn't even always a good thing when it comes to someone like Eddie Jones so it's mad it's just yeah I suppose it's the merry-go-round it's top level of professional sport isn't it Absolutely. and then the, the one, they're the ones putting the money in so they'll feel as though it's my money I can do what I want to pick who I want but that's, and their egos as well but that's the lesson in it Marie like just like I love Rooney I absolutely love Rooney but pick a manager that's a manager would you like to see him go to United and serve an apprenticeship there as a coach <laughs> <laughs> don't get me started on <laughs> we'll get on to that later we should um, look at the top of the Premier League <laughs> so Liverpool Liverpool are on top yeah top how long has he been there 8 years I think seven, 8 years Unai Emery at Villa he's not there that long mm-hmm. but he's doing some job mm-hmm. Man City Pep Arsenal Arteta 4 or 5 now yeah you do You do need time obviously everybody knows that but the run of form that they were on Ruby like it didn't look they weren't like scoring goals even. the, the, the were, crowd were, were singing anything. was it Saturday they were playing I heard the I saw a video on Twitter earlier the crowd were all singing for Rooney to, to leave what yeah. was it 13 games 15 15, 15 games yeah. I mean it only won 2 or 15 you can't ignore that no the form the table since he had come in when he was appointed, as I said, they were they were sixth in the league and doing okay. Their form in the last number of games since he was there, they're bottom of the table. Like, yeah, they got worse. Yeah, Ruby, how was the racing over Christmas? Christmas, good over Christmas, Marie. Uh, some great performances. Obviously, Hugh Hewick winning the King George was probably the highlight on St Stephen's Day back on the twenty sixth, um, and a French superstar appeared in Kempton as well called Ile France. His performance was off the charts, Marie, half an hour before Constitution Hill, but he was incredible, so he was. Did you see him, Al? I saw him, Ruby, yeah. Did you realise, Were because I, I heard a comment you made after that you were blown away by it, did you realise before the race he would have been as good as he was? No, Willie said that you hear all, all sorts of chat, like you hear with soccer players or young rugby players, this is going to be the second coming. You hear all sorts of chat, but they have to go and I have to see him do it myself before I believe the conversation. So, um, yeah, you heard plenty of chat about him that he was going to be the next great racehorse. But by God, what he did in Kempton was was spectacular. So it was, and there's some great performances in Leperstown as well. Marie Galloping the Champ, obviously in the Savile Chase, Irish Point, and Jack the Bromhead. Um, what else do we have? Some good novice chases: Marine National, Fact the File, Grange Clare West. It was some great racing all across. Games a bit of a row with the Mullinses, I liked that. Was he yeah, the they went toe-to-toe. Was he the one, Ruby, surprised you the most, Grange Clare West? Definitely. Because some Definitely. It was some performance, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought it was absolutely brilliant, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, he was very, very good. Um, he was a surprise, but um, yeah, look, there was great racing. So there was. Was there anyone throwing the spuds at each other at the Mullins <laughs> Christmas dinner? <laughs> Do they just wake up, Ruby? Give us the insight now. Do they just have that little Barney and then all friends again? Or they yeah, hold a grudge? The, no, their second name is Mullins, Marie. They'll probably fall out or laugh a lot more than all you right, think. All right, OK. That's just we, Can we I just say as well, and we, we had this chat one night, but I thought Ruby's comments and you were very strong and very mm. good and considering where you, you're working and all that kind of stuff, it was well said. you eat the spuds, I thought Patrick was totally out of order, so <laughs> Ruby, who knows a lot more than me about racing, said it straight out. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Good TV. There's, there's, there's two ways of looking at it. Two wrongs never made a right. And it's the same in every sport. The fellow who starts the row is never the one who gets in trouble. It's always the person that retaliates. Mm-hmm. Patrick retaliated. The fellow who comes in after. Okay, well, we're going to turn our attention to rugby now. We've had Stephen Ferris uh, sitting there on the line waiting. Stephen, when you were watching Ulster pre this Christmas bounce back, were you thinking I might get into managing or coaching myself? (laughs) 
definitely not. I like to have my Christmas off, eat plenty <laughs> of turkey, have a, a skin full of beers and relax and, and take it easy. Never tempted. Uh, no, no, no. I did a little bit of coaching um, just at the school that I went to, um, grammar school that I went to close to home uh, for a few years and it was more or less just to um, top up the old coaching badges and to see if I had any interest in it at all. But it's a lot easier um, when you can chat to you know youngsters of 14, 15, 16 years of age and they, they, they do exactly what you say. But um, I think the professional game is a completely different kettle of fish. So, um, yeah, and it's... Uh, I'm, I think you know. You just look at the lifespan of a professional rugby coach. Like, is it maximum maybe seven, eight years max before you get get moved on? And I think if you if you looked at all the stats, it's probably more like three or four years, and then you you go to another job. So, um, yeah, my days of running around and travelling are, are long behind me. So I'm happy enough just to just to talk rugby with you guys on a, on a Monday or Tuesday evening. My managers don't buy houses, they rent them. Isn't that what they say? <laughs> yeah. Um, Stephen, what about Ulster and Leinster last night? Gutsy performance, obviously, Billy Burns, man of the match. Yeah, and it's funny, Ruby, like, um, uh, I'll not name the media outlets, but during the week there was all this chat about should Sam Prendergast be given the opportunity to play for Ireland in the Six Nations? And, like, to be honest, I was listening to it going this is so Leinster blue tinted glasses sort of stuff that I'm listening to here like it, it actually struck a nerve with me like it was very very annoying frustrating to, to listen to and like this is a, a young guy who undoubtedly has talent has potential but he has to prove himself on, on, on in big games and he has to prove that he can, he can manage his team around and I thought he did that reasonably well but it, it doesn't help when his opposite man Billy Burns ended up getting man of the match and um, you know, controlled things very nicely for Ulster. And uh, I know you went off injured in the last ten minutes, and Duke come on and, and did very well also. But yeah, it almost felt like the whole the whole lead up Ruby to this game that it was just a given for Leinster to win it. You know, that's what everybody was just chatting about because it was in the RDS. Now I know the weather certainly was a, definitely a bit of a leveler, but in saying that, Ulster completely dominated them uh, for for parts of the game. I know Leinster has a lot of territory more possession but Ulster never really looked troubled apart from the pick and jams and the close quarter stuff and you know it was also played more enterprising rugby in really tough conditions and and did their homework got got them on the outside with a couple of cross field kicks um, Jacob Stockdale was, was there to pick one of them up Nick Timoney was kept huge width for the other one so I think all in all and actually looking over the game again today Lancer didn't show me anything to say oh geez, this is a side I need to be really worried about Keen Tracy is with us in studio Keen, were, we, were you one of those offenders touting Prendergast for Ireland? No I wasn't I think he should name Stephen should name and shame <laughs> um, that, that sounds like someone probably trying to fill a bit of uh, quiet airtime over uh, the quiet Christmas period but um, yeah look that's just not, not really going to happen at all I don't think last night even if Sam Prendergast had shot the lights out I think the chances of him being involved in Six Nations are, are slim and none as it should be. I think even physically alone, I think he's got another bit to go before we can expect him to start dominating um, club games, let alone international games. His time will come. And, you know, I've probably been guilty of people like Stevens pointing the finger at in the past, sort of trying to anoint people too early before they've maybe proven their stars. So, um 
Sam Prendergast has got a long way to go, but I'm sure like he, he does look talented. I mean, it's, it's OK to be excited about a young player coming through, but you've got to give a lot of credit to Billy Burns. I'd be pretty critical of Billy Burns, I have to say, over the years. Um, I don't necessarily think that that performance last night is going to mean he's going to get into the Six Nations squad either, injuries permitting, of course, but it was very encouraging to see him. I think not only play as well he did but also like he was by far the dominant 10 on the pitch and when Stephen says the weather was a bit of a leveller when I was watching it I thought it would be actually playing to Leinster's favour because there's times when you know Ulster get into a, a bit of a scrap and you're wondering at times if they have the stomach for it particularly away from home and as I was watching it I was reminded of the, the game last year in the RDS when Keane Healy got sent off I think Ulster sorry they did they went um, 19-3 in front and then they ended up losing the game so they went 12-0 ahead last night and I was kind of thinking okay now this is a proper big test of Ulster I mean can they kick on they had that big win against Racing and we were wondering um I'm pretty sure in here in the studio having a similar conversation if that could be the turning point of the season they ended up backing her up with a big win over Connacht at home and last like last night they haven't won too many times at the RDS was that the third or fourth uh, Stephen might know offhand yep. they've won there I mean it's it's a seriously big win um, for Ulster I know Leinster didn't have um, all their big guns out but that's not, not to take away from anything that Ulster have done I thought their game plan was perfect and they've highlighted look Leinster's defence under Jacques Nienard was clearly a work in progress it's it's going to take a good lot of time for players to feel comfortable and while I think the first team have shown you know a few signs that they're getting to grips with it we saw it in Sale against Sale in the Champions Cup that you know hard rush defence being exposed and to be fair to Billy Burns his kicking game has always been his strongest point is what I would suggest and it was excellent and that try the first try that Nick Timoney scored last night if Ireland scored that or if Leinster scored that I think we're praising them you know unbelievably so and I think Ulster deserve a lot of credit as well because over the last couple of years you know we've associated you know a lot of mall tries and that's been a big strength of theirs and maybe not like seeing more kind of backline moves and you know launch plays but that was a stunning stunning bit of play that they would must have worked on countless times in training during the week so for Billy Burns to execute the chip over the top for Nick Timoney to collect at that pace and then to turn on the afterburners to burst through a couple of tackles was a brilliant try that showed that Ulster have I think more in their armoury than and I think that's why we are critical of Ulster at times because they do have more and they just don't show it often enough but it's been a big Christmas for them to, mm. to win two Interpros on the back of that Racing game they have a bit of momentum now I mean it's not that long ago that Dan McFarlane was questioning their, their training techniques and he's really gotten uh, the response he wanted because that could have went that could have went the opposite way and, and they could have been left reeling so it's been a very positive Christmas for Ulster who have definitely been the big winners of the Irish Promises over the last couple of weeks Yeah and Stephen just on um, Dan McFarland and, and his comments afterwards he was delighted with his team but he also was very open about the the kicking game and how it's the secret to beat Leinster when uh, Nina Arbor is on board is it as simple as that? Um, I'm not sure it's as simple as that I think what he also highlighted in his after our post-match press conference was how physical they were and, and that they won a lot of collisions um, they kept getting up off the line, up off the deck. Um, and you know, I've been there myself. You're absolutely soggy, wet. You're busted. You're knackered. You know, just to tell yourself in the back of your mind to get back up off the floor continuously to put your body on the line. Um, it could be very mentally fatiguing, but it, they showed, I think, um, 
just a, just a, as we were saying there, I think a bit of, bit of guts. You know what I mean? Like sometimes it's just about rolling your sleeves up and, and putting all your energy into making the, the impacts and making those collisions bigger when, you, when you're involved in them. And, and they did that. And that's something that we haven't seen. But Maria, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, in the next couple of weeks we've seen a really poor Ulster performance again. I know this is you know, the, the chat coming out is that they're trying to play a different way. Uh, they're sort of in a bit of a transitional period with the style of rugby that they're trying to play. Um, and you know, teams will also figure out what Ulster are trying to do to them. And I think, I think sometimes they can, you know, just it's like lapses of concentration, or they're just not up for some games, or like the Edinburgh game at home with, with, with the shambles. Um, I know I was on chatting about that, and you know, pressure was mounting severely on Dan McFarland and the rest of the coaching group. But you know, you got to give them a bit of credit. They have turned it around. They've beaten a half decent Leinster team. I think it's twenty three losses out of 25 visits to the RDS so to get that scalp um, was, was brilliant and I'll do wonders for their confidence as well heading, heading into a couple of big weeks in, in Europe uh, I know they've got Toulouse at home and Harlequins away would you give them a chance of, of beating Toulouse at home well like they've shown in the past that you know, and I've been involved in games myself that you know, when the big French teams arrive in Belfast and they're not at it you know, 100% that they can get the scalp so now, who knows what these last couple of wins will do for the lads um, going forward into the rest of the season. Certainly has them on the right foot. Anyway, Keane, obviously, Connacht Munster were yesterday as well, yesterday afternoon. Big win for Connacht, but Graham Round, Graham Roundsheet, he was sort of highlighting maybe that he wasn't overly happy with the referee. Obviously, tackles on Ollie Yeager and Jack O'Donoghue. Has there been any more developments today? Uh, not that I've heard, uh, Ruby. It was an ugly game in every sense of the word. It was a very tough watch um, in terms of a spectacle. Even the the Munster Leinster game and Stevens night um, was one for the purists. But there was actually plenty to get your teeth stuck into. Look, it was a big win for Connacht, but the injury toll for Munster um, is just it's over twenty players now that they're without. It's it's pretty much unheard of. Uh, Roundtree was yeah pretty annoyed with. Some of the refereeing, and to be honest, I think um, I think he was right, um, particularly on the Jack O'Donoghue won. But um, Pete Wilkins could have been annoyed about the Mac Hansen clear out as well, which looks to have cost him a very serious injury. Both him and Jack O'Donoghue went off with the the green whistle, the kind of the gas, the, the pain relief that they take, which is never a good sign. You think the Six Nations squad is going to be announced um, in a couple of weeks and Mac Hansen looks like he's going to be a major doubt for that unless the injury proves to be not as serious as it looks. So, um, to be honest, Ruby, I thought the, the refereeing was pretty lax in that game. The The weather conditions were horrific, but it was obviously played on a 4G pitch, so the pitch was absolutely fine. But the breakdown became became like the Wild West really at times and the the clear I'd be interested to get Stephen's thoughts on it like as a former pro but um, someone who would have been putting himself in those jackal positions to me I know a lot of people would like to do away with the jackal um, in, in other words a, a player crouching over at the rock to, to poach a ball but I think it's a really fascinating area of the game but it has to be refereed properly Um Jack O'Donoghue last night for anyone who didn't see it put himself in to you know pretty good position and Byron Ralston comes in to try and clear him out I don't think there was malice in it I genuinely don't but his technique is shocking like you, you just can't you can't go for a player's standing leg Jack O'Donoghue already did his ACL a few years back um, in the RDS and remember I was at that game um, I think he's actually done it again so you're talking that this could be a third ACL for a guy who's in his early 30s it could be a possible career ender let alone 
own season ender but you got to protect the, the players who are putting themselves in that position I think back to Dan Levy a couple of years ago mm. similar sort of situation his career I know he came back from it but he was never the same and he ended up retiring so if we're going to have the jackal as such a key part of the game as it is the referees have to protect the players and obviously there's an onus on the players as well like I, like I said Byron Rolston's technique I thought was really poor he was in from the side you targeted that standing leg and when Jack O'Donoghue's standing leg is planted on the solid surface that was there it's just a recipe for disaster. It was horrible to see. Stephen, where do you stand on it? Yeah, I, like, I don't think there's any rule to say that you can't take somebody's standing leg. So, like, it's a type of thing where should you take away that, you know, the direct hit from the shoulder, you know, do you have to use levers, i.e. use your arms to try and, you know, attack the standing leg? You know, I actually felt that it was just one of those rugby incidents. Yes, the reason why, like the referee, it was play on. Like the only reason it was brought back was because there was an injury. It's the same as the Bongi and Manambi one in, in the Rugby World Cup final. That would never even have been looked at if he hadn't hurt himself. And then, of course, who was it uh, that got the, the yellow card off the back of it? Um, the back rower. So, it's uh, yeah, it, it's a tricky one. I can sort of see where Graham Roundtree's coming from that he thought it was a blatant from in the side and if you're in the side coming in at that angle then there's going to be a recipe for disaster there's going to be a, a, a collision that you don't want and I understand that but there's absolutely no way Ralston went into that rock to go do you know what I'm going to target this standing leg I'm going to hyperextend it and I'm going to do damage like that that's not at all and if anything there wasn't actually that much impact I think there was only maybe maybe 10 degrees in Jack O'Donoghue's legs when he was hit and then he went into that hyperextension. So it, it was just one of those ones, Ruby, for me, that was just really, really unlucky. Like, it's just really unlucky and it, it would have been play on if he hadn't hurt himself. So I don't really know if that answered your question or where I stand on it. <laughs> no, it doesn't. That's, that's neither here nor there. But is 4G the right surface for rugby? Uh, yeah, that's um, that's a, a conversation that I had with Rob Carney in studio last night. I asked him, "What do you think? Like, if that was a, a grass surface, do you reckon when his knee was hit with the shoulder with Ralston that there would have been a bit of give underneath the studs?" And we sort of just looked at each other and like sort of nodded. Um, quite possibly, there there would have been a bit more give, but. As Kane touched on there, that's a solid surface. I actually had a pair of boots on in the one in Belfast there a couple of weeks ago. And genuinely, I'd be frightened to play on it. Like, the, the foot just the, does not go anywhere. No slippage whatsoever. I'm running at high pace, high intensity, um, strong movements, big guys. Like, I, I think there's going to be more and more. And, you know, I know Munster have a, a pretty long injury list they've played a number of games down in Cork uh, this year um, as well um, another couple of injuries last night so uh, is this 3G contributing to them oh, I suppose we won't know this here until maybe 10 or 15 years down the line when we have a lot more data on, on the injury profiles of, of players that have been on it um, but at the minute yeah like personally I, I think it's it's a surface that you know doesn't give, give in any way shape or form and um, but then, on the other hand, it, you know it, that's very good for scrummaging, and it's very good for other parts of the game, which many people complain about. So, um, yeah, it's it's this or that, I think. If you were a player now, Stephen, would you play on it? 
Um, I would for a serious amount of money. Um, (laughs) 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 If I was handed a super good contract. But I think even, I think it was Dwayne Vermeulen was at Ulster there last season and he didn't play in any of the Ulster games that were on the 3D pitches. So I'm not sure if that was written into his contract or what that was, but he didn't play in any of them. And that's a guy who's been around the block and was obviously um, knows his body extremely well. But no, I, I was I played in a couple of them, Cardiff and I think Saracens was it, uh, just before I retired, and yeah, I didn't like them whatsoever. So I think it's a personal preference. I was chatting to Mikey Larry, the Ulster fullback, obviously small, nimble, very agile, very explosive. They're a hot stepper, and he said he loves it. He said he absolutely loves playing on it just because it suits his game. So, yeah, personally, absolutely not. I, I would try and stay away from it as much as possible, but um, everybody's different. And Stephen, just from a, a Munster player perspective, if you're in that dressing room and you're looking around and there's very few players to pick from, how does Graham Rangery keep the morale up while they try and, and rehab and, and recover those injured players? Yeah, it's tough. Uh, it's really tough. I don't think there's, you know, he's, Graham Rangery's lost the dressing room or anything like that. He's a, he's a very passionate guy. Um, I think that comes across in spades uh, with his pre and post match interviews, how much it means to him to, to be the, the coach of, of Munster. But, like, it's decimated, like, absolutely decimated the squad. And uh, it's really interesting to hear him before games because the first question that the reporter asks is, you know, what about these injuries? How are you going to cope? And, you know, his, his instant reply is that, you know, I have faith in these players that have picked. Um, and I'm sure he absolutely does have faith in the players. But at the end of the day, they aren't as good as the guys that are out injured, and you know the set piece at the weekend there was was atrocious. Um, you know, especially the line out. Like uh, I know, I think they won ten line outs, but maybe half of those were actually clean ball, um, and so many, uh, you know, coordination mistakes, overthrows, underthrows, bad lifts. Like there just wasn't one thing that you could bring them in at half time and say this is what we need to fix. Um, it was just all over the place. So. Yeah, again, change in personnel, people coming in that haven't been working in the, the in, with, with the first team for a long period of time. It can be extremely difficult, but it's something that they have to sort out pretty quickly because, um, you know, they can't afford to lose too many more games and, you know, expect to, to go and try and retain the, the ERC trophy at the end of the year. So, yeah, they just got to keep their heads up, Marie. Um, hopefully a couple of these guys aren't out as long as we all expect and they can start building the squad again and hopefully have a bit of luck on the side as well Okay, just before we finish up Keen, anyone due back anytime soon will we get an injury bulletin well there's obviously no games this weekend which is a definitely good thing from a Munster perspective they're hoping that Peter O'Mahony will be back for the trip to Toulon um, which is on Saturday week an absolutely massive game Munster have left themselves in a massive hole in the Champions Cup after drawing it home to Bayonne and losing away to Exeter so Peter O'Mahony I think has been badly missed in terms of what he does, you know, on the pitch as a player, I think you know his lineout acumen, as Stephen has touched on there, the lineout has been a shambles from a monster point of view. But there's also, I think, been a serious lack of leadership, even allowing for the players who are missing. So even to get Peter O'Mahony back would be absolutely huge. But unfortunately, there's plenty of guys there who look like they're going to be out long term. Yep, it doesn't look good. All right, okay, guys, uh, thank you so much, uh, Keen and Stephen. Uh, stay with us, though. We'll be looking ahead to tonight's start semi-finals after this break. <laughs> 2FM.
Now it's time to turn our attention to darts and I'm delighted to say that Michael Glennon of RT Sports joins us now on the line. How are things, Michael? Oh, good, Marie. How are you? Yeah, great, actually, after watching the darts for the last few weeks. It's been brilliant and it's culminating now, but I think uh, we should start with yesterday's action and the quarterfinals and, of course, Luke Littler once again doing the business and a very comprehensive victory over Brendan Dolan. Yeah, he's incredible, really. Now, I won't give you his age, but I'll just say he's 17 later this month. We've been uh, laboured a bit at how young the man is. Um, like, he, he's, he's 16. He doesn't play like a 16-year-old. He, he, he's so mature on the stage. He looks like he was born to play there. Um, he just qualified via the development tour uh, earlier this year. He's going to be he's turning pro, obviously, next year. Um, he came up against Brendan Dolan, and Brendan Dolan, had, from Fermanagh, of course, he had already beaten two world uh, champions in Gerwin Price and Gary Anderson but he, he really had no answer to Luke Littler he, he went 2-0 up sorry Brendan went 2-0 up in the first set um, Littler came back and won that one but Dolan missed a, a match or a set dart a couple of a couple of sets later Littler took out 111 and started the next leg with 180 Brendan kind of his body language told the story then that the match was over but incredible uh, Luke Littler is the story of the tournament so far he really Most is. Certainly is. Sorry, Rimsgun. I thought Rob Cross is going to be a different opposition, though, for Luke Littler tonight. I mean, what he did last night to come back from 4 0 down, that takes fair going. Um, absolutely. It will be, and never before done in the history of the World Arts Championship has somebody come from 4 0 down to win 5 4. Years ago, um, Eddie Lewis came from 5 1 down to win a semi final against James Wade, but the 0 4 to 5 4 has never been done. Um, poor, I feel very sorry for Chris Doby, who had been who had been the best player on form and by average up to that point um, when he was 4 nil up and looked like he was coasting. Of course, Rob Cross is a world champion. Uh, he won it on his debut in 2018. So he, he, once he found his rhythm, he, he had that level to get that he could play that well. But I mean, of course, Chris still should have got over the line from, from where he was. And where will the Ali Paddy crowd be tonight? Will it be for Littler or will it be for Cross? It's a huge thing in darts. It's actually a good question. Um, like Littler is establishing himself as a crowd favourite and Rob Cross has always been well received in there. He's actually never got, after he won it, he's never been past the quarter-final or so he'd never reached the quarter-final um, after he won it. So, no, I, I think it'll be mixed. I don't think it'll be the, you won't find so much of the pantomime booing or, or, or that going on tonight. It's the first, you have four English, four English men in the final. That's the first time that's happened since 2000. And six as well. So I would say there won't be too much of that um, unnecessary booing or uh, tonight. We've seen Luke Littler show unbelievable composure for someone his age, but even just in general, when you think about the atmosphere in the alley, Pally, how big a test will Rob Cross be for him tonight? Um, no, huge because Rob Cross has been there and, and done it. What, what they're saying about Luke is he's he's had it quite easy now relatively easy um, in his matches so far he's never been pushed he's never had to dig uh, out a deciding set or anything like that because he's won so well Rob Cross you would think if he shows anything like he can play he's going to push him and ask new questions of Luke and I mean, there's nothing to suggest he can't answer them he doesn't seem to have any anxiety or baggage or he plays it so cool um, and I think it'll be another classic that's the first semi-final. The other semi-final is Luke Humphreys versus Scott Williams. And Luke Humphreys looks like he's starting to hit form at the right time. Yeah, no, exactly. So he had kind of been a slow starter into the tournament. He, he went behind in his opening match. He, he was 4-3 down against um, Ricardo Pikachu, they call him. Um, he, 
Josh or uh, Joe Cullen missed match darts to beat him as well. And then by the time he played Chizzy last night, he really got up to his form. He reached his first 100-plus average of the tournament. So he was 103 last night. Um, yeah, now Luke obviously was the form player prior to this tournament kicking off. Um, and he's back now as favourite overall. How big a shock was it that Van Gerwen was beaten by Williams last night? Uh, very big. Uh, Michael had been playing very well. Um, a lot better by going by the averages. Scott Williams, I was just looking, he was world number 52. He'll move up he, when, the, when the rankings are updated. He only qualified for the tournament by £4,000 in the order of merit. So it, it was a huge shock. I, I don't know what happened, Michael Van Gerwen. I know he had been undergoing, he was having some mouth operation, jaw operation done that was being done in stages. I don't know if you noticed that his jaw had been a bit wired up. You might have seen some metal braces. I, I don't know, he hasn't come out and said that that was the reason, but just in the background, there's that going on that that could be causing him a lot of pain, but he, he's always magnanimous when he loses. He, he had a tweet today just wishing uh, Williams the, the best of luck and that he, he was beaten fair and square. So give us your prediction for these two semi-finals that are coming up this evening. Yeah, listen, I kind of went for Humphreys um, before the tournament and I'd stick with him over Williams. He, he, he's just really used to that big stage. Um, Williams has no fear either, but I think um, that Humphreys has, has the game to beat him and it would be just such a carrot to get into a first world final. Little and Cross, almost too close mm-hmm. to call. Um, I'm going to say Littler by two sets, 6-4. So if Littler is not turning pro until next year, what yes. happens if he wins? Um, no, he takes the money. It's not exactly like the, an amateur playing a, a pro golf tournament. He, he'll get the he get all the all the cash. So it's just five hundred for the winner. He's already guaranteed uh, it's a hundred thousand pounds for the to get to the semi final. It'll two hundred thousand if you lose the the final and five hundred half a million to win it out. So he's not an amateur then. He's a fully fledged pro. <laughs> <laughs> fully fledged 16 year old pro almost 17 though Michael Glennon thank you so much Uh, looking forward to seeing how those go tonight we will talk to you again soon all the best Game On on 2FM now, welcome back. We are turning our attention to football. Alan Cawley is still with us in studio. We've already discussed uh, Wayne Rooney and where he's going to go and the tough jobs that managers have. But there's a few managers doing okay for themselves this time of year. Go on, name them. <laughs> Jurgen Klopp. Ah, yeah. Well, to be fair to Liverpool, I watched the match last night and um, and I've watched all the football over the Christmas, but that was probably the best I've seen them all year, Marie. They were absolutely outstanding, Liverpool. Um, and an interesting start. I know Salah obviously will get all the plaudits and rightly so. He was brilliant in that second half. But in six and a half years, he's only missed 10 matches. Like people go wow. out with the goals, um, and two of those were for the African Nations yeah. Cup as well. So I think in the last eighteen months he hasn't missed a top flight game. So people talk obviously a lot about um, players who have good spells, but it's consistency, and that's what makes the best players and the top ones that are doing it week in week out for two, three, four, five years. And he is absolutely doing that. He's been an unbelievable signing for Liverpool. Uh, always delivers. Um, and it's his durability when you think of mm. how inte- how in- the intensity that Liverpool play at as well and the amount of high intensity sprints he'd be doing during a game as well um, and that's what a, his game is based on his speed and uh, how 
dynamic he is in the game as well when you think of the durability that he lasts for the six and a half years he's only missed 10 games and as I say the last 18 months as well playing week in week out and scoring and delivering and setting up goals it's phenomenal yeah he's a model pro like even if you see him when he's celebrating he takes the top off like yeah. you can just see how much work he puts in all of the time but Al um, I went to the Arsenal game mm. and I hadn't seen them play now in a while but the the pace is just phenomenal and when you see it actually in real life the speed of the runs the amount of work that they're all doing it's amazing yeah and that's the thing as well Marie because I often say there's nothing better than live sport and when you go to see a game no more than racing or rugby or anything when you're actually at the match itself you get a sense of all that um, and that's the big thing with the Premier League I've been over regular enough as you know as well and um, it's the shape that they're in as well and the conditioning mm-hmm. of the Marie and when you think of the amount of games they've played all over the Christmas and that game last night the intensity of that match and Newcastle to be fair are built on their high intensity as well they're just being flogged because of the amount of injuries um, Eddie Howe has lost as many games in the last 25 days <laughs> as he has since he in the whole of last season so it just goes to show the, the poor run that they're on but I know sometimes chairman and owners and we talked about the Rooney situation and they can be trigger happy this time of year I hope to stick with Eddie Howe I think he's done a phenomenal job Marie uh, they were well beaten last night and, and Liverpool were brilliant but it's just it's basically because of the circumstances at the moment with the amount of injury suspensions uh, but I think they'll come good again Newcastle They could United are wobbling along as they were Al Brighton have had a bit of a stumbling block they play West Ham tonight West Ham are flying aren't they yeah West Ham absolutely flying uh, Ruby and when you think of um, I suppose the last three league games they've won I know they got beaten the EFL Cup but it's just phenomenal run of form really uh, and David Moyes has them sixth in the table now and what I like about the, David Moyes and the team as well this year um, when you think that they lost Declan Rice and everybody was saying how do you replace Declan Rice and obviously he's a phenomenal player and he's, he's been a huge addition to Arsenal but they've spent the money very wisely mm. and when you think of that midfield area with Kudos uh, James Ward-Prowse that they brought in a really established Premier League player England international as well Paqueta they've had you're getting you're seeing the best of him as well Paqueta from since he's come over he's adjusted to the Premier League now and they're phenomenal as well Jared Bowen like when you think I rave about this fella I think they paid 17 million for him and when you think of the return they've got on that investment he'd be worth about 80 million if he was to go tomorrow um, he's been phenomenal and David Moyes you look at Man United the situation they're in now we, we started the conversation earlier with a manager not getting time you could argue with Wayne Rooney you think he only got 7-8 months at Man United and look at the job mm-hmm. that he's done now in the years after at West Ham he was a phenomenal manager I didn't think they ever gave him enough time and I think we probably didn't know how much work actually needed to be done there when he was there well because of what he was following as well like it was so hard to follow Alex Ferguson and it was almost like the panic button was hit just because it was mm-hmm. the first sign of trouble after 7 or 8 months they should have given him the time they gave Alex Ferguson the time all those years ago they should have given him more time but I love to see the fact that he's come back almost rejuvenated from that that experience hasn't harmed him and he is being remembered and being seen as the manager that I always felt he was because of the job that he had done at Everton and he's doing a brilliant brilliant job at West Ham What's going on with Arsenal? Yeah, it's a funny moment with Arsenal. I watched a bit of analysis last night on Monday Night Football. I thought it was brilliant from Carragher because um, you look at the front four of Martinelli. He's struggling at the moment, in particular out of the four of them. Jesus was never really prolific. Odegaard was the creator. And then you have Saka, who has hit the heights uh, of last season, but the other three haven't. They're still creating the same level of chances, Marie, but it's their conversion rate is well down where they were last year. They were all in double figures in terms of their goal return as well. 
I think only one of them Saka's in, in double figures this season but they're still getting the same amount of chances still creating the amount of chances but they're just not putting them away and at the moment they're going through that barren spell uh, but that was two poor results Fulham and West Ham whatever about losing to West Ham because we, we've obviously said they're playing very very well it was a poor result and for poor performance in particular against Fulham as well so I tipped them at the start they're still in the mix but I think they're going to have to dip into the transfer market in January and there's a lot of talk of Ivan Tony, but I do think they need a centre forward they most certainly do then, then, then down the other end Sheffield United they're as good as gone Burnley are going to follow them but Luton are doing half a job to get out of this aren't they? Yeah they're doing great Ruby yeah they really are um, again you look at the last three games and uh, they've won two and obviously they got beat but rallying in defeat against Chelsea they were absolutely brilliant towards the end hit the bar twice they could have got something out of that as well but prior to that they beat Sheffield United in what you could consider a six pointer and they beat Newcastle before that so they are giving themselves a chance again I think he's been clever the manager there astute signings Ross Barkley has been uh, almost like um, he's rejuvenated himself really since he's gone in Ross Barkley always had the talent but looks like he's he's applying himself in the right way now as well Ogben has obviously been brilliant uh, had a great season for them as well and they've given themselves a chance and especially when you think of the points deducted from Everton Brentford have hit a bit of a slump as well so they've they're lost the last five <laughs> which? Brentford are in free fall they've lost the, they've lost the last five yeah they are he's free raising fall. your slump to a free fall <laughs> yeah and now they're looking over their shoulders but I always I, I've, I think Thomas Frank's done such a brilliant job I still think they'll be okay but free fall is probably the right description Ruby and the fact that they're struggling so much Everton as well have hit a bit of a, a slump in the last two or three games as well they've lost their last three in the league that gives Luton chance and Luton hope and as I say they have turned the corner a little bit um, and they're a great story as well I'd love to see them hang on in there as long as they can will they stay up I don't know but they've given themselves a fighting chance back to the top are Man City on the march yeah, I watched them last week, Marie, and it just goes to show, like, when you think of everybody, all the talk before they went to the Club World Cup, that it would be an opportunity for Villa, Arsenal, Liverpool, that by the time Man City could come back, they could be six to eight points behind and chasing everybody down. When you think that they came back, and I think they were only two points behind, they beat Everton, absolutely brilliant they were in that, uh, and then it was a routine win at the weekend against um, Sheffield United, but it was probably the best I've seen them play against Everton because it was a tough night as well conditions wise they went to goal down but the character they showed in the second half and Phil Foden who I think is absolutely amazing player he's really come to the fore in the last month as well so even though I thought everybody else had a really good chance and I still think Liverpool have a great chance Man City once they're only two or three points and, and this is where they, they kind of it's almost like in racing parlance the final furlong when they decide <laughs> that we're going to turn the, the afterburners Omri and you can see them reel off 8, 9, 10 wins on the trot well their next games are going to set them up Newcastle is their next match they'll follow that with a, with a uh, home game against Burnley and then they go to go to Brentford I mean and Everton are after that I mean they have a great run now Man City yeah and it's probably you could argue as well Ruby playing Newcastle at the best time because of the struggles that they've had as well and then when you say Burnley, Brentford, Everton there's nine points that they should rack up as well so um, they were everybody's favourites at the start they're a phenomenal team he's done some job people arguing they weren't quite hitting the heights but they're still there and they'll be hitting the heights when it matters most. Okay, Alan Colley, as always, thank you so thank much you. for coming in. It is great to be back after Christmas. I'll be back again tomorrow. We'll be joined by Mark Langdon with all the European football. Michael Glennon will be reflecting on the darts and we'll also have our usual Wednesday Gaelic Games slot. Better De Silva is up next. RTE 2FM.
Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last.